I want to launch into a new teaching series we are going to call Timeless Prayers. We're going to look through scripture at um, a, a few um, prayers that transcend uh, the moment of the prayer and that show us uh, a little bit about the nature of God, about our own nature, and, um, and then um, <clears throat> give us some insight into how to connect with God. Uh, how to talk with God when, when we have our, our, uh, our own needs. Now, um, uh, next week, I'm going to talk about uh, the powerful prayer of a man named, of a king named Hezekiah. And, uh, and his prayer to God and how God responded. And there are some technique things in that prayer that we can learn from uh, in our own prayer life. So next week, we're going to talk a little bit about technique uh, in prayer. This week, I want to look at the prayer of a woman named Hannah in a moment of great need. And, um, and we're going to see, it's going to help us interpret our own circumstances and think about the circumstances of others around us. So I need to get organized for a moment. And uh, then we'll begin. If you want to follow along, I would love for you to open a Bible um, one of the blue Bibles, or maybe if you brought your Bible, and, and find uh, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, and we're just going to start at chapter 1 in a moment. Um, as we open up 1 Samuel and look into it, what you're going to find, number one, is, is you're going to see another example of that thing I always talk about, and that thing the Bible always talks about. This is... Um, in almost every page of scripture, it's been a part of human consciousness, or should have been. It's been a part of like the Bible narrative uh, since, since the beginning of, of time, since, since God began to speak to humans. And yet, it's one of those things that we as humans uh, really struggle to own. And this is just another example of many examples in scripture of, of this important point that God wants all of us to understand. Are you ready? Here it is. You can never use your circumstances to interpret your standing with God, nor the circumstances of others to interpret their standing with God. Let me say it again. You can never use your circumstances to interpret your standing with God nor can you use other circumstances to interpret their standing with God. All over scripture, period. You know what we as humans love to do? We love to use our circumstances to interpret our standing with God. We also love to use others' circumstances to interpret their standing with God in spite of a Bible filled with examples why we should not do this. This is what leads to sayings like, you must be living right. You ever heard that or said that? Or, uh, what did I do to deserve this? Like I hear people say that and deep down, I think a lot of us, maybe we don't say it out loud, but we think that. What did I do to deserve this? Or why would God allow her to go through that? Why would God allow her? Or why does God let him get away with that? 
See how those kinds of things that we think or speak regularly, they reflect that somehow circumstances relate to our standing with God. And deep down, we tend to uh, try to interpret our circumstances as a reflection of God's involvement. Some people actually look at what goes on in life as evidence that the Bible is useless or that God is not interested in creation. Like this, this it fascinates me. Uh, they'll, they'll look at bad circumstances as evidence that God's not involved or the Bible is useless when actually the Bible has been trying to tell us since the beginning that circumstances, bad circumstances, are going to be a part of our life. Like, like their circumstances fit the Bible narrative. They fit the narrative of God, and yet, for some reason, their circumstances to them, they feel like it's evidence that the Bible is not relevant. Whereas I look and I say, wow, look at the way the Bible gets it right and predicts it and helps us interpret it for thousands of years now. All right. There's a lot to be learned from these scriptures that we're going to read today. So I want to talk uh, in, in a minute with like a real life Hannah story. We're going to have Anne come up and, and I'm going to he- you to hear her, her story and how she relates with, with Hannah. Uh, but first I'm going to read through uh, the scripture and, and make a few little points here and there. And then we'll, we'll get to uh, uh, an interview that I'm, that I'm looking forward to. So... Um, uh, yeah, let's just start with 1 Samuel 1. Anybody got a page number? I forgot to write it down. 251? Okay, 251. 1 Samuel 1. There was a certain man, skip some stuff, whose name was Elkanah. Skip some more stuff. Verse 2. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this introduction to the story uh, helps us to begin to feel for Hannah. You would, you would most likely interpret this story as a um, uh, guy has a wife, and she is unable to have children, which in the ancient world, that was pretty much all a woman was seen as good for. They had kids. And if you couldn't have kids, you really had nothing to offer to the world. So, and this is again, that's back then. I'm not saying that now. So this guy, because his first wife can't have kids, he takes in another woman who is able to have kids. So you put yourself in Hannah's shoes. Her husband has taken in another woman. Because she can't have the one thing that she wants. Now, I know that, like, today, I want to speak especially, like, like there, there are some of you here who can relate with Hannah on a lot of levels. And I just want to acknowledge that. I know that it's a very painful topic for, for many people, and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But I, I, I also think you see here, uh, and this is the, the Bible, the Bible is, is, uses this a lot. Rather than come right out and condemn something... It simply lets you see where it leads. So it doesn't come right out and condemn taking in multiple wives. You simply get to observe how messy it is. And I love that because I think scripture realizes, like, 
the way to get somebody to not do something is not to tell a human being not to do it, right? You can tell me what not to do, and I'm probably going to, but if you show me here's the mess that it leads to, maybe I'd be more likely not to do it, and we're certainly going to see that here. Okay, so uh, you can feel for Hannah already and her plight and her brokenness, um, um, how things are set up against her. So now this man, her husband, used to go up year by year from his city to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Eli was like the main guy, the, the high priest or the priest, um, Hophni and Penias, uh, they were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, Penina, the other wife, the other woman in the marriage, speaking from Hannah's perspective, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. The one wife taunted, mocked, irritated, provoked the other wife who could not have kids saying, look at my children. You can't have kids. Can you imagine the pain that caused? So year after year, as, as she went up to the house of the Lord, uh, used to provoke her, therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. So Hannah is a wreck. And then we get to verse 8. And verse 8 is a gem. There are certain verses that transcend the ink and the space they take up on a page. If you are married to a man or have ever been, highlight this coming verse, verse 8. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat, and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why are you sad? Why don't you want to eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not worth more than ten sons? She is distraught. And this dude says, you got me. So, so <laughs> any wife here, can you imagine a husband so out of tune with your feelings who also overestimates what he brings to the table and his ability to fix your problems? I mean, you should cross-stitch this verse and put it up. <coughs> Anyone who doubts the authority or the authenticity of Scripture, just, there you go. <laughs> Couple quick notes. Um, we're often tempted to see good fortune as evidence of God's blessing. And no doubt this is sometimes true, but not always. Because Paniah is, is uh, literally flaunting her blessing 
in front of someone who she sees as lesser. And while she's doing so, she's apparently even getting more kids. She probably feels like she's better than Hannah because God has uh, uh, given her things that Hannah doesn't have, things that their society values. Um, but there's that important narrative reiterated time and again by Scripture. You cannot look at another person's circumstances and assume God is uh, more with them, more so than others. Uh, you also can't look at a person's uh, lesser circumstances and assume that uh, uh, they don't have good standing with God. You also can't look at your own circumstances and assume anything about your standing with God. Now, I'm going to read the rest of this, and it's, it's lengthy, so hang with me. Uh, after they had eaten and, and drank at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. There's that timeless prayer. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, she feels forgotten by God, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord and all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. That's what was called a Nazarite vow. It was like an extra way of handing a child over to God. And she continued praying before the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away. Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm, I'm a woman who's troubled in spirit. I, I've drank neither a wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. So don't regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time... Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him for him from the Lord. Now Samuel would go on to be the spiritual leader of the entire nation of God. He was a big deal. So you can imagine how Hannah retold this story as her son led the entire nation. Imagine what Penina thought. How she had mocked the woman who would give birth to the leader of God's people. Because see, in a moment, God can retell any story. And he loved, Ephesians says he loves to retell the story. Okay, I want to pause here uh, before I make some closing thoughts and um, applications um, about this timeless prayer. I want to invite um, Anne Huntley, our children's director, up to the stage and talk a little bit about how she relates with this Hannah story. Thank you for coming up, Anne. I appreciate your vulnerability and um, authenticity. You know what? Let's switch sides so that you're. I didn't think this. Oh, sorry. 
cord will get tangled. It has its own life force, and it will get tangled on anything. Okay. So, once again, thank you, Anne. Sure. And why don't you, can you start by telling us a little bit of your story as you hear and read Hannah's story? Sure. Um, first of all, I, I just want to start off by saying this is emotional, so when I share, I probably will get emotional, so so sorry about that. Um, <laughs> We're not allowed to apologize for getting emotional here at Polaris. Okay. Well, some people get uncomfortable, so although it was That's their fault. a long time ago, it was really about 20 years ago when we walked through this, and it ended really 17 years ago this fall. Um, it, like when you asked me to share, it brought up all sorts of stuff, and I, I was listening to music I used to listen to, and I was um, got out my Bible that I read. I could actually see the little print at that time, and I, I got out my old devotional, and it brought up all sorts of stuff, and it um, it's very painful, and I don't want to hurt anybody either as I share, so please know sometimes we say things, and if it comes out wrong, please, please forgive me, but um, my story starts off, or actually mine and Brian's, because we always think of um, when there's infertility, you usually think of the woman. But it really is a, it's a couple that walks through it together. And Incidentally, Brian Huntley over there, right? Is he still in here? He moved. He's over oh, there. He moved. Okay. Yeah, just give a wave, Brian. That's her husband, Brian, back there. And I think for a guy, it's really hard, too, because, like you said, you can't fix stuff. You can't fix it. And um, so we started off with our marriage just like most newlyweds, totally loving life, loving each other, excited for our future. And um, hope, you know, hope for having children someday. But in our timing, we weren't ready yet. So we waited a little bit. And then after several years, we thought, oh, well, you know, we'll try to have some children. And we just tried to have children. And then it didn't happen. And we waited. And another year passed. And it didn't happen. And another year passed. And it didn't happen. And then we realized we probably are going to need a little help. And that alone, just getting to that point is like, dealing with something. It's just a whole nother level of like, okay. Um, so we went to my OBGYN, or I went to, to him, and he suspected that I had endometriosis, which can hinder conception. So he did um, a laparoscopy, and sure enough, I have endometriosis. It, it doesn't mean you can't have kids, but it can definitely hinder conception. And um, But he also looked around in there when he was doing his little procedure and said, everything is as it should be. There's no reason you can't have children. You just might need some help. So from that point on, we went to the fertility doctor. And um, he helped us with conceiving. But in between there, do you want me to go to the next one? Next question? Yeah, no, that's the, yeah, <laughs> that definitely. Especially because okay. the, the next question that I wanted her to cover is, as how did that affect your relationship with God as you're wanting this and, you know, you're just your feelings in life as a seeker and believer and, and, you know, what, I'm sure that got messy. Oh, it did for sure. I, I was, I was afraid. Um, and I know, you know, I wanted to not have fear. I wanted to trust God, but I dealt with a lot of fear. I was afraid. What if this doesn't work? What if I, I never become a mom? A lot of little girls dream of being moms, you know, um, my sister and I would shove pillows up our shirts and pretend we were pregnant when we were little and have babies, and it was something I always dreamed of, so I, I had fear that that wouldn't happen. Um, I also was just worried about 
the process of everything. It was scary. I didn't know what we were going to have to do, how far we would have to go with help at the doctor, because there's all sorts of things you can do. It can take a long time. Um, and so that was a scary thing. Also, just month after month of waiting to see if it worked. And you would, you know, do what you had to do, maybe take your temperature or do whatever you had to do, and then call your husband to say hello. <laughs> Get home now. <laughs> so there's that. And then, um, and then you have hope. And then you have hope and you have hope and you have hope and you have hope. And then you don't because you had a little monthly visitor that said, nope, not this month. Um, and that could happen at work, and then you have to go right into your classroom with your little children looking at you and wondering, am I Mrs. Huntley sad today? Or, uh, you just had to live life. So that was, that was hard. Um, I also was afraid that God forgot me. That was a big one. I'm like, Lord, I know you love me. I, I knew you loved me. I didn't really struggle with God with anger, but I was like, God, please don't forget me. Please, please don't forget me. And I would see friends and coworkers and people that I loved that were going through life as I thought I would, and um, that was, it was like, Lord, when, when will it be me? That was hard. I didn't necessarily, I know, I know sometimes there can be, people can say two things that I think are really brutal to women who are trying to have babies. One is don't make it an idol. People say that in the church sometimes, like something that you put before God. I really don't believe I was making it an idol. I just wanted to so you had real people say that to you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't know that. Oh, I got more. <laughs> well, that's okay. So are you ready to talk yeah. about it? Okay, yeah. so, so one of the questions I wrote down, <clears throat> this is where like two things. So, so like uh, number one, I just, just to acknowledge and we'll talk about, like, like I know some of you, like Anne got the kids. Some of you didn't. Uh, you wanted kids and, and it just didn't happen. And, and there's, there's this couple. So my wife and I, like, you know, I could, I had to be careful if I walked too close to Kelly in a room, she would get pregnant. It, I mean, it was like, hey, let's, let's have a kid this month. Boom. Okay. So it's really easy for me to say to somebody, are you going to have kids? Why don't you have kids? You, you know, that kind of a thing where it's like, in my ignorance, I just assume you just decide and write it down. Right. And, and, and so there, there's that aspect. But then there's just that other thing of, of every miracle you celebrate is somebody else feeling forgotten. And it's the impossible balance of, of celebrating and giving credit to God for something while at the same time, like, God heard my prayer and he would keep praying. God's, God's responding. And, well, I lost my somebody. Why didn't he, why didn't my prayer, you know? So there's just all that that makes it really hard. So just talk through some of the things that you heard that even in the best of intentions were devastating. And, and again, if you've said these things, don't beat yourself yep. up. Because um, I, I heard a lot of those things. One, things. one thing that people would say, would say, oh, well, you can always adopt. And while... If you are adopted or if you are, have had your family added to through adoption, I know firsthand the blessing of that. My niece and nephew were adopted. It is amazing. And God put that family together. But that's a whole process. And that's also giving up a dream of conceiving and feeling a baby grow in you. And it's just, 
it's a whole, you know, it's it's not that easy, too. Adoption is not always an easy process. So that just wasn't helpful? No, not at okay. all. Although we did pursue it. We still were pursuing that, too. Because I could see myself saying that yeah. to someone. Yeah. Right. And you can, for sure. But, you know, um, another thing people would say that were kind of silly, they'd say, just relax. You're trying too hard. That was always comical to hear. Some people would actually give us tips on what to do. And that was comical. <laughs> Brian, Brian was always like, all right, let's try that one. But I, <laughs> I was, anyway, um, people would ask whose fault it is. That, to me, was just like, how can you say that? What, meaning what? Meaning in regards to when you, there's all sorts of reasons why people can't conceive. And they can be. Oh, and they wanted to know which of the who, two of yeah. the oh. Whose fault was it? And the thing is, too, what if your husband's sperm's not viable? I mean, do you think he wants everybody knowing that? And what if a woman has something damaged in her reproductive system? What if there's all sorts of reasons, and sometimes they're really nobody's business. It's very private, it's very personal, and it's very painful. So um, sometimes people would fish and try to find out things and say little things like, oh, you know, and... It was really hard because being a Christian, I wanted to honor God and how I responded. I didn't want to be mean and snarky back. But I had a couple of good one-liners going through my head. But I would refrain because in that, on top of it, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm, you totally kicked me in the gut. But I don't want to be unkind back to you. So then you have that, and now you have to forgive somebody. So you have all that going on. Um, I also, when I would maybe entrust people with some things, I had a friend, and she meant well. She was a good person, truly, truly, truly. But she felt it was okay for me to, for tell, to tell people my personal stuff. And even when I would say, would you please, there's something that's going on this week with me, would you please just keep this between you, me, and Jesus? Her mom would come in the foyer and talk to me about how the doctor appointment didn't go so well. And I didn't tell her mom. <laughs> so it was stuff like that where you're like, ooh. Um, another woman had me at a tea party and she had little scriptures for everybody to read and one of the things my scripture oh, verse gosh. was and I was in a corner so I literally couldn't flee it was rejoice O barren woman and she had me read this at a tea party she was trying to I think force me to come to terms with some things I, I don't know why she did it but honestly she was a very kind person and I know she meant well um, but it it wounded me deeply and then I had to worry about forgiving her because I was ticked I was like, you know, can you imagine? Um, I do forgive her, but that was pretty brutal. Um, and then just the overwhelming people are weird with you. They're weird. Like if somebody gets pregnant, they'll be like, like you walked into the room and, and people are like, just be normal. Ask me about my job. Ask me about I got a haircut or something, but just be normal, please. My life does not revolve around this and... Just because somebody is having a baby shower doesn't mean that I begrudge them. I don't. Oh, like somebody else would get pregnant and they would like... Act so bizarre. Oh. You just walk in the room and it would get quiet. Eesh. And it was just bizarre. So stuff like that was super duper okay. painful. I, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Because while it, it's awkward and, and pro, I mean, it just it's, it's, um, it's important to hear that. Because, I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm sure I've said said a lot of dumb things, would say a lot of dumb things, um, you know, completely unintentional. Was there anything anybody said that was helpful? Yes. Okay. Um, in regards to Hannah's story, do you want me to jump into that or no? Whatever, yeah. Um, she, one of the things, 
And I think God helped me tremendously by looking to see that God saw Hannah. And um, that helped me because I thought, okay, Lord, you see me. It is a painful thing to walk through. It's a lonely thing to walk through. It's like a wound in your soul. That's what it feels like is the best way I can put it. And nobody sees it. It's not like they can say, oh, I'm so sorry you broke your leg or something. But they can't see it. And so he was this incredible source of just comfort for me. And um, that was a blessing. Hannah went to God for that. Then the other thing um, that she did and that I followed suit in different ways too, she, she prayed. And um, Brian and I prayed. We fasted. We, we did everything we could. When you fast, you're supposed to be private when you do it, but it's over now so I can tell you. But we did. We, we fasted, <laughs> and we did it a lot. Um, and we just wanted God to know this meant so much to us. Please have mercy. Um, we read scriptures together. We memorized ones that would help us get through when we were really walking through something painful. And we camped in Job because, boy, that's a good one to go in when you're sad. We, we were in the Psalms <laughs> a lot, and I have a great devotional streams in the desert. And in regards to what you said to what was comforting, um, Third Day and Watermark two bands that helped me radically. I almost asked Marcus if he to sing a song, but I didn't want to put him on the spot. And then God provided because Kelly's going to close with a song that is so beautiful, and she sings it so sweetly, and it's by the band Watermark. Um, so you'll, you'll get it when you hear it. So those things encouraged me. And also I had a sister who walked through a um, different path, but the same kind of thing. She ended up adopting, and she could encourage me like nobody else. She knew me. She got me. And she knew when somebody was doing something that might be hard, she could, like, rescue me or change the subject or do something. And that helped. Also, um, our pastor at the time was reading. He was doing a whole series in Job. And he didn't often say things. So when he did, personally, it meant a lot. And um, I marked this in my Bible from 17 years ago or 20 years ago. And it's from Job 23.10. It says, but he knows where I'm going, and when he has tested me like gold in a fire, he will pronounce me innocent. So I marked that in my Bible, and I wrote down in it a comfort to Brian and I as we waited to have children. We felt it was for us, this verse. Our pastor told us that as he taught on this, he felt in his heart it was for us. And then I put, it was. Praise God. Now four children later, it was. God is good. Thank you. I love you, Lord. I like to write things in my Bible, too, so I can remember, because more hard times come, and I remember what God did. So that verse has helped me, even though we're past that now. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anne, for sure. sharing your story. Greatly appreciate it. Lots to, lots to think about and, and guide us as we uh, interpret our own circumstances and also try to help other people, carefully help other people in, in their circumstances. Thank so you. You know what, that. can I share with yeah. one last thing? Yeah. And this is just for my little devotional. This is for whatever you're going through because I think we all need hope. Um, and this is from this devotional that is awesome if you're hurting. Um, like I said, not all of us end with kids. Not all this road ends that way, but God is with us through it. And whatever your situation is, I have no doubt, he'll hold you through it and he'll carry you through. So here's a little little sweet thing for you. Why must I go about mourning? Dear believer, can you answer the above question? Can you find any reason why you are so often mourning instead of rejoicing? Why do you allow your mind to dwell on gloomy thoughts? Who told you that night will never end in day? Who told you that the winter of your discontent 
would continue from frost to frost, from snow and ice and hail, and deeper snow and stronger storms of despair. Do you not know that dawn days after night, showers displace drought, and spring and summer follow winter? Then have hope, hope forever, for God will not fail you. And it may not be in kids, but he will not fail you, because he loves us all dearly. Thank you, Anne. So before I share my, my closing thought, just with like what Ann said, <clears throat> um, I've lived life a while, and I've seen other people live life a while, and I've watched with people, you know, watched people and, and prayed with people and for people, and <clears throat> sometimes you get the thing, and sometimes you don't. Um, it's great when you hear stories of people who. Um, who wanted kids and they prayed for kids and it was a long process to have kids and then finally they got their miracle. The same with uh, healed from cancer or a husband or a wife, like wanting that husband or wife, that spouse to spend life with and you want and you want and you pray and then, and then we cel celebrate when it happens but, but sometimes it just doesn't. Sometimes you just don't get that thing that you want. And, um, and, and so um, what stories like Hannah tell us is that, number one, God is very slow, so it's certainly you never give up hope. Um, but then there are plenty of other scriptures where it just, you know, whatever that thing was just didn't happen. And we see that in, in, with God himself, who at times wants things that he just doesn't get. He just doesn't get the thing that he wants his people to do or whatever. So... Um, you, you really can't interpret your life circumstances to figure out where God is. You just don't know. Um, but the enduring message of Scripture is that God is walking with you and will continue to walk with you in life's entirety. Now, last thought. <clears throat> it's easy for us as human beings who generally are more self-centered. I know I am to read these scriptures as a what can I learn for me. So we read about Hannah and we, um, we ask what can we get as we identify with Hannah. But I want to close with us thinking, it as, uh, with thinking about the story from an outsider perspective. And that is um, there are Hannahs all around us people who are genuinely hurting, genuinely wrecked by life and their circumstances, and in desperate need of people to reach out to them. Now, if you want to live for more, and this is, I mean, if you follow Jesus, great. If you're a Christian, great. If you're not, this is still something for you. If you want to live for more than just the typical selfish pursuit of suburban America, if you want to live for more, one of the things that you must get good at doing is including others, especially, especially the underdog, especially the forgotten or the lonely. You have to get good at including others. And so let's look at the story and say there are Hannahs everywhere in our world, at your work, in your family, in your neighborhood, wherever. You know those people who are generally excluded. 
Who are the Hannahs that you could include? Whether it's a call or a text, an invite to lunch, an invite to church. Who can you reach out to? And if you say you follow Jesus, you have to do this. Because Jesus made a lifestyle of including people that everybody else forgot, including people who were forgotten by the world because of their circumstances. Remember when Ann talked about people got weird around her? Like, like the conversation stopped, the, didn't know, the awkward. That's their life. They're not included. Who are the people in your life that you can include and reach out to? So we are going to do that last song, and here's, here's what I'd like for you to do. Own the Jesus lifestyle and think about including others. And I would like for you to pray for a who. Who? Who's the Hannah that you this week need to reach out to? Who's the person you need to include? And then what is it that you're going to do to invite them? Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to include? Lunch, text, whatever, phone call. Who are you going to include? What are you going to do to invite them? And then when? When are you actually going to do it? So leave here with a commitment and a name. That's a person that is in my world that is probably lonely and needs to be included. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to do something about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us your involvement. Thank you for showing us your nearness even when we don't feel you. Thank you for the Eli's of the world who at least spoke into Hannah's life. Thank you for Hannah's patience and her faith and her example. Please help us to sense your presence in our darkest and loneliest valley while we wait in frustration. Right now I pray that you would bring to mind someone very specific, a name, a face, someone who we're near, who waits in frustration, who feels the loneliness of Hannah, and guide us and nudge us, leading us to something, an action we can take to reach out to them and show your love in a very real way to them in their circumstance. In Jesus' name. Amen. So take this song in and think about that name.